Welcome, everyone, to the Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that whenever he feels his rage inside, he lets out a primal scream that can only be a satisfying release. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. I'm not here for tea. The Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 308, Upstairs, Downstairs, is brought to you by Poindexter Precision Vacuums, your prescription for a tidy physical space. Though we are about to dive into this episode momentarily, I want to make our listeners aware, especially those who listen via the Daredevil podcast feed, over on the Pop Culture podcast feed and on the website, we have a discussion that we released yesterday about the uh, the general state of Marvel TV, whether it's some of the Marvel Netflix stuff that is withering, uh, whether it is Marvel films making TV type shows for streaming, is that Marvel TV the... The department is that not what does this all mean and some some great discussion going on there about the future of marvel and television you say withering matt i say thriving but spun as something different but either way kind of taking stock of where we are right now so you can check that out over on the pop culture podcast feed One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. Daredevil Dex returns home, his fastidious existence now reduced to blood and sweat and chaos. Dex de-escalates by listening to his therapist's tapes, which remind him to keep order, and he vacuums headphones on while wearing the Daredevil outfit. The credits show that the episode is written by Dara Resnick, a writer-producer on Daredevil, and someone who has producing experience with Shooter, Jane the Virgin, I Love Dick, and Castle. The episode is directed by Alex Zakrzewski, who has done episodes of Man in the High Castle, Animal Kingdom, Bosch, Blue Bloods, the list goes on and on, all the way back to things like The Good Wife and Life on Mars. Back to the episode, back to the presidential hotel, Nadim shows up to work, the voice of Matt buzzing in his head. Who's the real danger here? Nadim is checking files, including those of Dex, and finds footage of Dex turning off the cameras to go talk to the kingpin. Later, Nadim sets a meet with Daredevil Matt. Both want to give into the greater good, which sometimes means hurting others. Nadim won't name names right away, but they plan on taking a little look-see at his apartment, the apartment of Special Agent Point Dexter. Dex is out for a run, bumping into others to get to Julie. He says his life is out of control and he needs her support. Will she help? She's up for coffee and he explains that he was never that into her, never stalking her. He wanted her goodness and kindness and now he's drowning and he needs to be told to breathe by Julie. He really does need a good therapist and, oh, he actually isn't guilty of anything. You see, the FBI needed a scapegoat. Dex gets a text to meet with Ray later, and the scene ends with the coffee shop's camera watching Dex and Julie. Knock, knock, Foggy is visiting the sleepy Karen. She's despondent, but he has a theory of Fisk being the center of it all. Foggy has a plan, but Karen says Fisk has already thought of that plan, right? Foggy's goal, get Karen to write about Fisk murdering his father, and that can be used to revoke Fisk's house arrest. She'll write about it, 
Foggy will debate Blake Tower about it. Karen can cover all that, except, oopsie, except Karen doesn't have a job anymore. At Fisk's hidey hole, he's watching footage of painting at Julie's place, painters that shoot her dead and wrap her body in plastic. Fisk's men have her phone now. Later, Dex shows at the office, ready to talk with Andrea Morales, attorney at law and friend of Nadim. She's been hired by the guys Dex saved to fight his wrongful suspension. Ray really, really can't wait until Dex is back on the team, buddy. On the rooftops at night, Daredevil Matt watches, then sneaks into Dex's apartment. He meets Nadim at the door, and they search the very neat apartment. All Nadim can find is the cracked picture with Julie and the hole in the wall. Daredevil smells the suit and gunshot residue. He opens the safe, but no suit. It's been moved. Back at FBI HQ, Dex is told they'll win for sure. He just needs six months to cool his heels, and the attorney steps out. He sends a text to Julie. Quote-unquote Julie tells him to leave her alone and blocks his number. Angry, Dex heads home, Daredevil sensing him. Maybe Dex senses him back, grabbing some shards from the hallway lamp with which to attack. He sees evidence that someone has been in there. Across the alley, Nadim and Matt are safe until Dex starts ricocheting bullets across the way. Trying to leave, Ray dodges cops while Matt dodges glass shards. The police arrive at Dex's apartment, but he's FBI. Later, he gets a tidy report from the nice officers. Once they're gone, he takes his tapes, some butane, and disposes of them. One less lifeline. Then, knock, knock. Felix Manning wants to take a ride. Elsewhere, Karen is outside the bulletin offices with people protesting evil Daredevil. She is skipping the Hell's Kitchen Club dinner, opting to try and interview Fisk. She'll wait. Back to the Hell's Kitchen Club, Foggy asks an extended question of Blake Tower, questioning his sense of responsibility over Fisk informing to clean up the competition. Foggy claims Fisk is setting up a one-stop shop for bribery and corruption. It's a good speech, but Foggy stops mid-sentence, thinking of Karen. Back to Karen in Fisk's penthouse, she's impressed, and he offers her tea. They sit, ready to exchange words. She admits not being there to write about Fisk's mother. She wants to talk about what Fisk's mother told Ben Urich, told Karen. She wants to talk about Fisk's childhood, about his father, his murder, the hammer. Fisk breathes and processes. He's got questions for her. When did she learn about Matt's secret life? Karen realizes that, in a sense, she's there at his request, and she's being played. But she's got a secret, too. James Wesley. What was it like calling and calling and calling Wesley? She tells Fisk that Wesley died quickly. She shot him seven times, she whispers. Fisk screams, and the FBI comes in, separating them. She's cuffed due to Foggy saying he was concerned she would kill Fisk. They end up leaving the hotel. On the mean streets, the wounded Nadim is on the phone with his wife. He won't be home tonight and does not tell her that he's bleeding. He calls his boss. They need to talk. Elsewhere, Manning and Dex are in the back corridors, then take a swanky elevator to more back corridors. There's a paint crew there, too, looking suspicious, but Manning and Dex end up in Fisk's hidey room. Fisk knows, Nadim knows. The Kingpin counsels that rage cannot stay inside and that a primal scream can be the only satisfying release. Dex screams and Fisk hugs him, hugs him and notes the painters are rolling up the plastic in the hallway. At the church, Matt is sharing the pilfered remaining Dex tapes with Sister Maggie. 
It's a young boy filled with rage. Does that sound familiar? Matt works it out downstairs while Maggie, upstairs at the altar, prays that he be kept safe, that he not be taken the way you were, Jack. Maggie says, our son is too much like you, Jack. Downstairs, Matt hears it and stumbles to end the episode. Jackson, you're already badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Pete, let's start with Dex, who, you know, among other things, um, tries to kill our hero, tries to kill uh, kill good old Ray Nadim, and an increasingly, I think, unstable Dex, but also a Dex that is maybe... Also more reflective, which could be indicative of healing, but I feel like the the wound is getting worse. Yeah, I mean, we talk TV code often. Um, irredeemability, burning the tapes that were left behind by your deceased therapist to calm you down. Um, that he comes home from the bulletin slaughter and pops in the tapes and listens and then vacuums in the suit shows us just an inkling that he can be calmed down, that there's potential to be brought back. But when his apartment is broken into, he chases the assailants with lethal force and then he burns the tapes, leaving only the one that Matt has gotten his hands on Uh, that shows him to have been a psychotic child who murdered animals. Yeah, we're not getting this guy back. Nor nor should we, I think. I mean, certainly the story could go in that direction if the writer so chose, but I think that there's just, there's an ethos to the character, um, whether it's the stalking, oh no, wait, it's not stalking or the other things like that. That whole scene in the coffee shop, that's very kind of like, Hey lady, you misperceived what, what I was doing here. And let me, I I really want to take the time to, to reset here so that you really, really understand that, uh, you're wrong about how you perceive me. Um, there's layers and layers here that I don't think the character would be well served to be like, you know, but we can fix him. We can make him better. No, he has to, he has to pay his story pound of flesh in the end. Yeah, and convincing Julie even to meet with him in the coffee shop and then to try to work with him the way she worked with people on the suicide hotline again shows that glimmer, but then the far darker side is the manipulation. If he hasn't learned from Fisk, He's developed on his own. Oh, see, that's what you do. You you write people. Uh, by the way, I'm completely broken. Yeah, it's a weird scene of manipulation. And of course, we learn in due course that um, Julie's involvement in all of this is going to be uh, manipulated or her, her existence and now lack thereof is going to be used as a point of manipulation for Dex, all at the hands of uh, of Fisk, who's enjoying his hidey hole existence, and um, I mean, certainly we'll we'll talk theories in in a little bit. But Dex has no idea that he's in the den of the the den of the lion here, and he still is the scapegoat. Emphasis on goat. 
Yeah, and between what Nadim has offered there with the attorney that he's gotten for Dex, and and that'll be another thing we ponder in our sidebar segment, um, and and where Dex is at the end of this episode, screaming into Fisk's ample bosom. <laughs> um. That he is, but I mean, no question, um, and certainly not a revelation that though that hug is going on, it's also allowing Fisk to to monitor the um, the the footage outside, which will, as I said, we'll uh, figure into our theory segment shortly. Um, it's just amazing how a this is an episode where Fisk does not leave the hotel asterisk. He's got his little secret room, but still. He's confined entirely to the hotel. There's no use of Fisk in Matt headspace or things like that. And they get so much story out of him, particularly that scene that Fisk has with Karen. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> it's just maybe, an acting toward the force. Maybe the greatest scene in Marvel Netflix history I would put in the top three ever in all of Marvel television as we approach 300 episodes. Yeah, it was a phenomenal moment. And Pete, though, Karen is, is I think, rightfully not on the villains list. Certainly there's the, the info share there of her villainous uh, actions toward Wesley. Uh, again, something, I know we've discussed this before, but something that is bearing story fruit two seasons after it happened. Um, and just that, that range of emotions and knowing how strong Kingpin is in the comics with this superhuman strength, I was legitimately concerned for her safety, um, uh, as that scene approached its climax. And, um, I give the writers a, a, a thumbs up there. It was a good trick to not just have the FBI come in because of course they're watching and of course they can see things are elevated. It's reasonable to think that over the radio they're saying, you know, all right, be ready to open that door at any time. He's looking upset. But to have that extra piece de resistance of Foggy giving misinformation to help get her out of there, it, 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 it was just the icing on the cake. Yeah, and that she even gets cuffed at that moment only for that to be a red herring and they were just getting her out of there. Um, yeah, that it's such a tremendous scene. The, the blocking of the shots, uh, again, that physical acting out of Vincent D'Onofrio, the inhaling, the exhaling, uh, just marvelous. I feel like he puts, I feel like Vincent D'Onofrio puts in so much extra thought into the character movements. I know we've talked before about his extreme, um, maybe not extreme, but his dedication to method acting relative to a more British model. I must confess, I don't know what model or acting philosophy Charlie Cox uh, uses, but um, the kind of more British model of, no, you give a really, really great performance, but you don't need to like spend six months living in a back alley in, you know, in Beijing in order to really understand what it's like to be, you know, uh, uh, whatever, whatever that the role calls for. You can just use your imagination and go out there and practice and, and hit your lines and move on. Um, but D'Onofrio kind of going through these extra thought processes and i feel like you can see that occurring but not in a way where it's like it's the actor acting it's just so much complexity with fisk happening every moment i mean 
the looks, the the breathing, um, the squinting of the eyes in particular is something I've been picking up a lot in the last two episodes that tells its own story. Your Honor, may I approach the bench? May I approach the bench? It's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. Now, Pete, I know you have some experience working paint crew in the past. Uh, have you ever been asked to paint a hallway in one building to look like the hallway in another building? Because I'm pretty sure that's what Dastardly Paint Crew did in order to set up, uh, to set up what's going to be revealed, I propose, in future episodes as Dex, Killer of Julie. Uh, that's an interesting theory. Uh, no, I've never been asked to paint crime scenes. Um, but I had to watch the, uh, Julie murder scene a couple times to understand what was going on there. It's so quick. It's through security footage that Fisk is watching it. And then there's Felix Manning holding up something on the phone or holding up her phone. Well, I think uh, it was meant to be, Hey, I have her phone. Now we can yeah, ghost but, text. But yeah. There's, there's inferences that are never completely and clearly spelled out. And I, I think that's good writing in terms of putting these things out there and deepening the mystery. Here's my take on what we saw and what we can infer. Um, my take is, initially, my take was that the, the painters were there just to provide the drop cloth and provide the easy exit of her body. But it kind of stuck vaguely in my head like, huh, that hall looks familiar, but whatever. Um, and then when when the phone is held up, I will admit there, in that moment, it's like, okay, I'm holding up a phone. Uh, but then later, when Julie, who we know uh, has has <laughs> has died, um, when she, quote unquote, she is texting uh, Dex, you know, don't don't talk to me, number blocked, etc. Um, that's you know Felix Manning or whoever on the other side of the phone manipulating Dex into, as you said, Pete, the ample bosom of uh, of the kingpin, and then to have the painters back. You know, I think a you're trying to look for some verisimilitude for the for something. I mean, I don't know. They're clearly not going to use the footage of paint guy kills Julie, and now that suddenly is supposed to be Dex. But the fact that they were rolling up the 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 uh, presidential hotel hallway drop cloth, I'm thinking, oh, it's DNA or it's something where it's going to be like look here's the proof that he that he did it or they're going to put down the drop cloth with her body i don't know exactly but same hallway different different hallways i think they're they're setting up something for the future well bouncing off that the scream matt how does the fbi not hear the scream well i mean don't forget he's down a flight of stairs easy um and can we further assume that maybe that's a room that's well, you know, well padded, even beyond cinder blocks, you know, quieting foam or electromagnetic uh, blocking of this, that, the other. Um, 
I certainly buy it. I think that it, it's if you told me whether it's whether it's in reality or as in things shown on screen or whether it's um just you know by inference or whatever if you said oh no it's not one story down it's two two stories down okay yeah i would buy that um and i think that would be far enough one story or two story i think clearly they're far enough away from what essentially is just a hotel suite that the fbi fbi hq in the hotel is just a big hotel suite which is expensive if you're staying there but not a big workspace so i think they're certainly far enough what about now that uh, they're discussing that Nadim knows uh, that Dex is fake Daredevil. Um, that no one had looked into him shutting down the cameras, the video of him doing that to go see Fisk on at least two occasions until now. Um, that crossed my mind, and I think you have a good point. Now, here's the flip side. You know, no, uh, no comics pun intended, but it's like, you know, who watches the Watchmen? How often is the in, how often is the footage of the control room checked by the people trying to make sure that Fisk is a good, you know, Fisk is behaving. I I can't imagine it's often. Um, I mean, can we have it both ways though? The, the OPR, the office of professional responsibility looked into decks because of the carnage of the uh assault by the albanians on the um on the convoy there to uh attempt to take out fisk but they don't keep tabs on him and he's able to get one-on-one time on at least two occasions with fisk it, it seems incongruous it does and i'll kind of add another level of incongruity to it are you telling me that are you telling me that dex doesn't know that there's a camera in um in in the fbi hotel uh office there i mean i doubt they've gone to the trouble to hide the cameras but then of course dex would see it and know oh snap i'm on camera i have to come up with something um but then if they've gone to the trouble to hide the cameras really you're going to do hidden cameras in what until what was until the emergency of bringing fisk here or the or the maybe not quite emergency it was in, <laughs> the shooting was an emergency the plan to bring him was in the works for a bit but um it's like they've hidden cameras in the walls there as they prepare for this that seems to be a little excessive versus like oh hey guys there's just a security camera there you know do you see keeping tabs um i don't know i agree it, it could just be one of these things where story-wise you me the writers just kind of go Eh, you know, this is what it is because we couldn't think our way out of it. In and around this setting, Matt, in Fisk's uh, prison, his gilded cage there, Karen going to see him, like we said before, arguably one of the finest scenes in nearly 300 episodes of Marvel TV, um, certain to be submitted for awards um, which, which the Emmys can then promptly ignore because it's Marvel, but but right. I digress. Yeah, um, her admission on camera, albeit in hushed tones, of the murder of James Wesley. Yeah, when she first started whispering, you know, you've taught me, Pete. You know, watch watch the subtitles; so you can pick up the character name or pick up 
uh, whatever it might be a music cue or, or whatever it is it adds it adds some information when you are in analysis mode uh, which hopefully some of you didn't just go into analysis mode. If so, then you're part of another show and and there are bigger problems. Welcome to Westworld, et cetera. But when at first it was like, you know, I don't remember what the first hushed word was, but it was, you know, the subtitles was like, you know, whispered. And she's like, okay, then. And I thought it was going to be like, you know, I'm going to mouth things to you and uh, it's going to be subtitled. You know, even if the subtitles were off, this is going to be one of these subtitled things so you can make sense of what's going on or she's going to cover her mouth in the old baseball way and you know something like that and no the show doesn't give us that it gives us quieter and then pete if i shot somebody in cold blood seven times not because they were directly threatening me that would have been the first time but the other six because he deserved and i would emptied i emptied the clip and would empty another blah 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 it's, that's all said much louder than the whispered baseball glove over the hand most right. protective thing with the fbi watching you want to say oh yeah. my- I'm going to talk about that at a coffee shop. All right. Mm, this is with the FBI watching. I agree. Incongruity. Because when they first came in and cuffed her, I'm like, they've heard it. Yep. And we've taken such pains in this episode to point out Fisk killed his father. The mother told Ben Urich and Karen that there's no statute of limitations on that crime for which he has not yet been charged. We can get him on this. This this is Foggy's plan. And that's everything pointed to. Uh, FBI throws her on the table, cuffs her. Foggy's there, shakes the head like, oh, if only I had been here sooner, you would not have implicated yourself in the thing I know you did yeah. in front of the FBI. And they don't go there. Maybe it's set up for a future episode but like if not now then when i mean if this isn't the way that you confess and have to pay the price then what's the story do is she gonna later sit and redo the scene with uh with nadim or something like that i i I agree it's a bit of a story sore point i think that we've had our moment and now it's passed uh certainly in terms of justice and the fbi and arrest and things of that sort but just because I feel like we can't rehash it again in front of law enforcement, but we shall see. What is Nadim's plan with Dex in providing the lawyer? Is that merely a stalling technique so he and Matt can search the apartment? I certainly read it as such. I buy him at his word that Andrea Morales is a longtime friend. I buy it that she's a lawyer. And it probably, here's my kind of headcanon, or here's my inference, is that he called up his lawyer friend and was like, hey, lawyer friend, um, don't want you to ask too many questions about what I'm about to ask of you, but can you just talk to this guy, give him some legal advice for at least an hour? Uh, because I think that's what he he could really get set straight by at least an hour where he's in the office. Oh, so you, you know, like that's all suggest something below board from a legal sense. What is it? It's completely above board. And yeah, that's how I read it. Um, I, and, and I think we get a couple of the, we get a little story juice there of, or, or, you know, a hint towards us recognizing that there's something not correct there when it's, you know, Oh, everybody took up a collection and then, Hey, hey, Ray! You really you had my best interest at heart all in heart all along, um, and I think it's just you know it's clear to us the audience that something is afoot. 
in searching the apartment, obviously the daredevil suit missing. Where is it? That's a great question. And one that they certainly are going to have to answer. Um, it's Pete, if this season hadn't been, hadn't been so great thus far. And if, the episode wasn't so well paced along with the pacing of the season. This would feel like another Marvel Netflix, like, oh, this could be the season finale or the penultimate episode, but they came up with an excuse. It just kind of felt organic that he moved it. Um, I don't know. I don't know where it is. I'll, I'll ask you a question, Pete, uh, one that you may or may not know the answer to. And if not, we'll put it out there to the listeners. Is it true that if the fire department comes to your place of residence in good faith, that now that's the same as a a um a, a search warrant like maybe maybe the you know maybe they would have left the the safe open or something like that but like is it true that they just come in and go oh whew it was just some burned toast oh man while we're here we see your illegal such and such like i'm not saying that that's impossible but is that really true it, it sounds plausible i have no idea uh, I would imagine if, you know, they're called to a, a burning apartment or burning home and then they find drug paraphernalia that caused the fire, um, that that it becomes a matter for law enforcement. How about drug paraphernalia that didn't cause the fire? Like I'm thinking there's a Supreme Court case. I, I think it's I think it's the same. They have gained access to the residence through official means. And now okay. what we see, we see. You can't ignore it. Oh, your meth lab. I didn't see that. Fair enough. And certainly in a I mean, I'm thinking of some old timey police episodes and, and whatnot where it's like, oh, well, you've been allowed to come into the living room. I'm not giving you permission to go into the kitchen. But that's different when the police knock on your door and you say, come on into my living room. No, you can't go in the kitchen. That's a lot different than emergency. The entire house has access to emergency personnel by virtue of being an emergency, which I'm not, I'm not debating that fire. The firefighters can come into my burning house anytime and do what they have to do. But I was just curious of your thoughts, Pete, I would be interested to hear from some of the listeners just in terms of uh, the real life version of that. What about Nadim's injury here? Lying, kind of not lying to Seema. Don't think I'm going to make it home tonight. Is he going to make it home ever? Uh, I mean, I think where the wound is and the fact that it, the bleeding has been uh, slowed, if not stopped, by your standard $8 to $12 uh, first aid kit from your local pharmacy. Um I read that as TV code. I mean, that's the same as the old shoulder. It's just he probably has to raise a gun in the next episode, so it can't be his shoulder where he's been shot. Um, similarly, Pete, relating to that scene, why in the world is he not calling for help, calling for backup? I mean, I know that he might not trust you know, the FBI in D.C. and the boss's boss's boss, but his immediate boss while initially not backing up the idea that, you know, that, that the Fisk stuff was, uh, was phony. As soon as there was evidence, she said, Oh my goodness, now there's evidence. Let's start to get this going to the point that she had to her, her, her attempt to continue to bring in justice and bring in help 
was slowed by Ray, why is he not calling her? Why has he not called her already? I think he had left her a message. Hey, boss, me to talk. But how is that not your first stop when you've been, you know, shot? Well, I think there's suspicion that Dex may have people who are either sympathetic or in league with him in the FBI or others, you know, foggy hits upon the corruption in his speech at the Hell's Kitchen Club. And I, I think that is seeding for later in the story. We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. Pete, what messages have come in via the Facebook? Well, Matt, Stacy Taylor writes in, Sunday cannot come soon enough. Episode 308, that last 30 seconds. What? Mind blown. I mean, it's a solid... It's a solid ending and indeed one that we have not uh, talked about. So thank you, Stacy, for letting us get into that now. Uh, the reveal there that uh, that Sister Maggie is Mother Maggie. Sister Maggie is uh, is Matt Murdock's mother. Uh, something that I I knew was floating around from the comics, but here the show relating, uh, or, you know, sharing that that relation and. Um, I think now we need to kind of not like literally right now, but now as as audience members, we can go back and kind of mentally reassess the Matt sister Maggie relationship that we've seen this season, as well as the uh, prior events that we haven't seen, but that they have discussed. Comic fans knew in that final scene of the Defenders, the minute Maggie was name checked, this is. Uh, Matt's mother from the comics, whether or not that was going to be a thing that happened on TV remains to be seen, obviously, until this happened. But it was a very strong uh, suspicion. Matt and I even talked off. Mike uh, asked him if he remembered Sister Maggie. Uh, he did not. And, uh, you know, here we are now. I thought it was revealed in the most interesting and compelling way for her to be praying one not to god to her deceased husband jack matt's father and matt with his still compromised but super senses hears this really really excellently done i know that i have read the born again uh daredevil storyline that's from daredevil 227 to 231 uh, that's now been uh, been grouped together as a graphic novel. I know I've read it. I don't recall whether that whether whether the sister Maggie connection comes up in there. Um, I know it's certainly it, it was nice to have it as a surprise to me, even though I'm fairly familiar with the the basic source material that that's informing this um, this uh, season. I know that you know sister Maggie is. Uh, kind of shown in uh, in Virgin Mary poses in in those comics. So whether it's directly said or not I, uh, in the comics, I don't remember. But it's a nice. It, it really is a nice reveal in this show in this storyline. It's really handled. Uh, it's handled to great effect. 
Stacy also added to our post for 307. What a fun reveal. She's referring to the uh, Fisk uh, secret command room there. So glad they closed the loop on that storyline. Still waiting for Turk's cameo. He better show. Absolutely. And Pete, don't spoil it for me. Um, <laughs> when it's going to come. I can't even ponder if it's going to come. Uh, but fingers crossed there. I, and uh yeah that's that among other things i can't wait to see how the season ends up i can't wait for that turk barrett cameo as well well matt uh if you're a patreon.com slash fantastic geek supporter it's like turk barrett shows up every day that it is uh smiles on our faces as uh we think that we continue to be listener supported and kept kept aloft by those listeners well the uh, storage and bandwidth costs etc etc techity techity tech but uh behind it all are those people keeping us uh, keeping us going pete week after week month after month that back catalog remaining alive the future catalog in creation because of those patrons who visit patreon.com slash fantastic geek Everybody gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels from there. So thank you again for even considering contributing. Don't forget, Matt, that we are uh, running our own little giveaway over on the Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek feed and across all our 15 podcast feeds you can leave a review on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook. You can retweet us on Twitter and follow us. Every single one of those actions is going to gain you separate entries in our drawing on Thursday, November 8th, during the Short Trek number two Calypso episode that premieres that night for a Blu-ray copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 1. Now, Pete, if people have any questions about that uh, that contest, or indeed any thoughts about Daredevil, the MCU, Star Trek, pop culture, etc., how can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter P I E T E R J K E T L A R K E T E L A A R ten thousand one hundred thirty nine followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Thumb it today. Pete, for those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll be back tomorrow talking God Friend of Me. And of course, on both that feed and Daredevil feed, back on Wednesday to keep talking Daredevil. I cannot believe, Pete, but we have 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. We have five episodes left. We're going to race through these remaining episodes as we get to uh, whatever climactic end of season three awaits us. And uh, it, it continues to be one heck of a ride. With that, though, I will say adios to all of the listeners and give you the final word. Zappo? Is that a thing? <laughs>